This is the Blattcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world. Hosted by Christian Blatt, his trusty co-hosts Will Sterling, Jeff DeRay, and sometimes the lovely Zia Anderson, and less occasionally, Lindsay Floyd. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. Now, here's Christian Blatt. Welcome to the Blattcast. Blattcast 411. Hey, we've got the 411. That was terrible. But fortunately, this episode will not be terrible. Christian Blatt here, as always. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at ChristianDMZ. Uh, we've got two great musician interviews again this week. First up will be PJ Farley, who's best known for his time in the band Trickster. And he has a new solo album out called Accent the Change. Then I'll get to have another chat. We'll get to follow up with our friend Joey Sykes. And this time around, he's going to talk about how he's part of an all-star instrumental rendition of the Beatles classic, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. He'll tell us more about that a little later. But... Joining me now is PJ Farley, who has a new solo album called Accent the Change. For more information and to order it, uh, go to pjfarley.net. PJ, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, obviously, you're best known to people out there as being part of the band Trickster, the pride of Paramus, New Jersey. Uh, I, I mentioned that specifically because uh, where I grew up in Orange County, New York, uh, once I was old enough, to drive and had money to spend, I would be at that Tower Records on Route 17 uh, far more often than uh, I could afford to be. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so that I know that, uh, and that was kind of the thing about Trickster when they were starting is like, well, they're from Paramus. And it's not like, it's not like you guys, you guys like played in a park in Paramus or anything. And we didn't even live there, but it was like, hey, it's a band from close by, you know? Right. It was, it, it, it wasn't, you know, like, uh, you know, it was real. Like, yeah, it wasn't like being from Asbury Park. You know, like like Springsteen, you're like, I, I guess that's a place I, 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 I don't really know. So uh, the interesting thing that I was reading that I, that I didn't realize, uh, I know it, it said that you started playing bass in the band at 16 and you're on the debut record, but I actually had no idea that they had previously recorded a different record that never came out. So talk a little bit about how you became, and, and you know, I read things on the internet that sometimes maybe aren't true. From the look in your eyes, maybe they didn't actually record something. <laughs> We had but, demos. We had yeah, demos. that's probably what it is. It was. It must have been these demos from before you were in the band. And uh, yeah, yeah. So that's that's 
that's what you get when you uh, you lean on Wikipedia, uh, you know, for for your second source. But uh, so talk about how you ended up, uh, you know, joining the band at such a young age, and uh, you know, I, I can only imagine what that was like for you. Uh, well, I was fifteen actually when I joined, and I had been playing in a band. But Wikipedia can't even get that right. They didn't even they didn't even get your age. I know right. I did that Wikipedia page. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to go in and change it to fifteen. I'll, yeah, I'll show them. People have already done that. Changed all sorts of shit. Um, uh, I've been, I was in another band playing the same all ages clubs with Trickster on the same night. Um, just about every other week, we'd be on the same bill. So you know, we just became aware of each other and um, you know, social. And it was really as simple as came time where they needed to make a change, and they just figured that I sit, I, I sat properly in the height game. Um, right. I fit the suit basically. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, they, uh, Steve gave me a call and basically asked me to join. And I was, yeah, I was 15 years old. So, and you're talking about playing uh, some of the same shows. Was that just like, you know, driving all around, uh, you know, the, the Northeast or uh, was it? Jersey. Uh, yeah, like just all Bergen throughout County. Jersey. Yeah. Some in Rockland County, um, yeah. but primarily Bergen County. Maybe some a little bit of uh, South Jersey. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's especially at that time, just the uh, amount of places you could play, especially like in the, in the summer, it's like, yeah, you're just going to play, you know, uh, out on the boardwalk or something like that. And, you know, I'm sure that, uh, that, you know, you're able to really just get, you know, there's a lot of demand, especially at, at that time. So uh, I can see, you know, the impact that would have had. So when you actually record the, the first album and there's, you know, you guys are signed to the deal, how old are you then? Are you still like 15, 16 or did it take, was it a few years later? Yeah, I think I was 16. <laughs> so, so getting, you know, your share of a, uh, of a, a, a record company uh, advance, uh, I'm sure you spent it very responsibly and you began investing wisely at the age six of 16. I pissed it away in a Ferrari. <laughs> Well, there you go. See, now that should be on your Wikipedia page. Yeah, no, it wasn't that much. I was just excited to be able to go to the diner and be able to buy my own food. Right, exactly. It's like, you that know what? Like, I, I'm it. I'm not going to just get fries. I'm going to get the disco fries. You know what? I can splurge. I can Ooh, treat myself. Like, I can get the grilled cheese and the fries. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> because before you had the record contract, it was more like you'd look at your friends. and Who wants to split fries? Yeah, you can eat all those fries or, yeah. or what? Uh, so obviously, you know, you get the, the record contract though at a time when that at least meant something, but I guess the most important thing that, that means is that there was the mechanism in place to promote the band and the machine existed. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause now you get signed to a record company. It's like, okay, good luck to you. You know, I mean, <laughs> so uh, you know, and I, I mean, I've talked to, you know, newer bands and this band Dirty Honey that doesn't even have a record contract yeah. because it's like, you don't need to bother at this point. You know, I mean, it's just- Yeah, like, they're just doing great by themselves. Yeah. Great right, exactly. The, yeah, and, and that would have been unheard of. But so, you know, just sort of going over it, I, I remembered that uh, the, the first Trickster record had the, the two number one MTV songs. I actually forgot about Surrender. So uh, my apologies for my memory not being as sharp as it was. Uh, oh, good. The video kind of sucked. So. <laughs> well, I did watch the video and I was like, okay. But uh, so you get, I mean, look, you get three big MTV songs and, and you know, you talk a lot of sort of about that era in particular. Uh, uh, you know, a band that uh, Trickster would go on and tour with, you know, Kiss had these huge MTV videos 
but they weren't hit singles on the radio, you know, like Crazy right. Nights and, you know, stuff. Well, I was going to say Hot in the Shade, but Forever was like legitimately a top 10 hit. But, you know, getting an MTV hit was probably, you know, I mean, it, it meant more important. even, you have to say meant even more, you know, because it was like, oh, I, I've seen this band. I want to actually go and get it. And then I, I want to see them on tour. So kind of talk about the album you know, exploding in that way because of MTV. But then also, I mean, I, I, I mentioned Kiss and I know you went on tour with the Scorpions and some other bands. So talk about just really being out on the road during that part, that part of the process. Um, yeah, it was a, a unique time because, yeah, there was, we had the, the label push behind us and, you know, go on tour and just get on a tour bus and ride. Um, and yeah, having number one videos on MTV, having a video on MTV alone is, you know, impressive and, you know, big deal. But the fact that Give It To Me Good, I think, was the number one video for the longest amount of time that any video was number one. They actually had to pull it off the number one position. And re they retired it. And uh, One In A Million was almost as long and I think Sur Surrender was number one on Dial TV when they took, they just canceled the show. <laughs> so we were number one, but they took the show off the air. Just our fucking luck. Yeah, tr Trickster's got too many number ones. You know, yeah. it's interesting because, uh, you know, the cynic in me. Trickster's won again. <laughs> the, the cynic in me immediately has started trying to figure out, like, okay, so who had a record come out at that point that, uh, you know, kind of said to MTV, it's like, eh, you know, we kind of need to be number one now, you know? Uh, why, not, why don't you retire the real number one? And, I mean, I've heard about, you know, how record companies would have, you know, basically interns that would just sit there and call that number the 1-800-DIAL-MTV and oh, yeah. and you know I mean it was like a big part of, of the push and you know look I mean the, what the interns probably was like you want you want a t-shirt great be on the phone for two hours you know yeah I mean it was you know it was great but there's only so many employees yeah but uh talk a little bit about actually you know being out on tour I mean the the big ones from this time period I know are, are Kiss, Poison, uh, Scorpions and uh, Warrant. Mm-hmm and, you know, I mean, there couldn't have been a bigger time to be with Warrant because, I mean, this would have been, I assume, Cherry Pie. So, like, that's their, yeah. Cherry Pie, they're, they're, you know, that whole tour in general, we, I just did a Talk is Jericho podcast with Steve and Bill Leverty and Joey Allen, uh, I mean, Eric Turner from uh, Warrant, talking about that whole tour. The whole episode was on that because it was such a magical time for all three bands. Trickster and Warrant were both peaking and then Firehouse was on, they came on early, but then they started to peak in the middle of the tour. So it was like, everybody's firing on all cylinders. And that was, a, that was an amazing summer tour. Like you just couldn't ask for a better tour. Yeah, I mean, that's basically like, oh, do you want to see the, the number one, two and three dial MTV videos all on the same stage? Then, you know, come check it. Cause I mean, the, that Firehouse record, you know, I mean, the, the two songs off the top of my head uh, obviously were, were huge as well. So yeah, all, all three of those bands that, that must've, uh, and that was, that was a, was that summer of uh, 90 or 91? I'm uh, 91. 91. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's still in the uh, in the sweet spot where you know you could see all those. So uh, you got to uh, you you headed out with those bands, but uh, so that that must have been fun. But what about you know opening for bands that no doubt you must have uh, been a fan of and admired? You know when when you were a kid, you know just learning how to play first drums and then the bass. Yeah, I mean like I mean even Scorpions 
um, our first arena tour was Poison, and that was like, that was like, I mean, that was, they were huge at that point too. They were like pretty much still riding their peak, which, you know, was a, a long peak. But um, that was a great tour. That was like sold out every night. It was short because we could only do a little bit of it because we had the Scorpion store booked. And ironically, at the end of the, the run that we did with Poison, they kind of called us, Brett called us into his dressing room and had dinner with him and Cece and they kind of asked us, you know, what they needed to do to keep us on the rest of the tour. But we were already literally getting on the bus and going flying to Albuquerque to start Scorpion's tour. Um, and it was an option before we did the Poison tour, but Poison had already done like all the major markets. They did New Jersey, New York and all that stuff. And they were kind of doing their tertiary markets as they call it. And Scorpions were doing the whole country. So we're like, well, we want to do that. And um, so we stuck with the Scorpions and that was a great tour because we had just come off of like Striper, Don Dockin, Poison. And we were welcomed with open arms. It was great. Got the Scorpions tour was a little bit different because, you know, we had to work for that crowd a little bit. And, um, right. Although, and and this is this is Winds of Change Scorpions, right? This is this is pre Winds of Change. Oh, Same record. Okay. Right before it came out. Okay. Um and it was a great tour, but we definitely, you know, we had to win them over every night, which was great for us because at that point. You know, we were we were riding high, we were doing great. But you know, if we were if we had stayed with Poison or somebody else, it might have come a little too easy. You know, so it was a good time for us to get that tour, kind of keep us on our toes and you know focused on kicking ass and not just fucking off. Right. No, I mean, I could definitely see that. You know, it would be. I, I don't know. I I think you feel like yeah, you're gonna have fans in a Scorpions crowd, but in general, somebody that's buying a ticket to see Poison, uh, they're probably going to already own that album. You know what I mean? Right. So this, the, that, that's a, it's a little bit uh, easier. So yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, and at what point did you tour with Kiss? Was it for the first record or was it, uh, was it uh, when you guys did the second album? That was in fall of 92. Okay. Here, the Here record. Right. They were doing, and, it was a revenge tour. Right. And somehow, uh, when I saw that show uh, it, it, at the Meadowlands, I don't think you guys were there, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I remember Faster Pussycat, but uh, we were there. You were okay. There. So, so there were three bats. So okay. that that's why I didn't remember it. So, because I'm like, I know I. I it, that's the funny thing is, you know, look, I I have uh, like a, a box full of old ticket stubs, so I could have taken the time to look to see if you were on there. But I was like, I know I seen trickster at some point but uh, i couldn't place it i think because i was thinking it was for the for the first album so that actually makes sense yeah. that uh, revenge tour so i wanted to talk a little bit about it seems like the first record comes out right at exactly the right time but then unfortunately the second album does come out at the time where a lot of bands from that era will talk about you know you could still sell some but it, you, the record companies were very quick to uh, be like okay well we want a band that sounds exactly like Alice in Chains. And yeah. uh, that's Well, you could argue that the first record came out at the wrong time. If you think if it come out earlier? It had to come out earlier. Yeah, that's true. If Woody would have went straight to the police, none of this would have happened. But, um, <laughs> you know, people say that, oh, man, you guys came out just a little bit too late and yada, yada, yada. But sure. You know what? 
at the end of the day, even if we did, I'd still be right here, you know, doing the yeah. same thing, you know, probably with no more money in my pocket <laughs> and uh, still trying to play music for a living, you know, because that's what I do. Nothing really would, would have changed. I mean, maybe we would have got a, a little bit more touring and maybe another record or so out of it, but yeah, you know, yeah, one of the one of the first people I've ever talked to about that era was uh, Mark Slaughter, and you know he's somebody that I thought, you know, okay, yeah, I mean his band, you know, had a huge uh, first album, and the second one wasn't as big, and then they sort of, you know, people kind of forgot about them. But he and and you you're talking about it very rationally. He was very he was very sort of zen about it. He's like. Yeah, look, that Nirvana record, that Allison Chain, those are all great records. They were just were a different sound. And and it's really like just the record companies are like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's what we need. You know. <laughs> so it's like he doesn't he doesn't hold a grudge for these bands that did their thing, you know. And uh I think that uh it's it's interesting because I know that uh, you know, Trickster continued for a little while and then you know, uh, you guys kind of went your uh, separate ways. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the stuff you did there. But there has been, uh, you know, I mean, look, uh, Sirius XM has a channel that they call Hair Nation that some people don't like that name. But uh, I'm sure if I put it on today for a couple hours, I would hear at least one of those three uh, number one songs that Trickster had. I think that there is still a very very soft spot in a lot of people's hearts, myself included, for, you know, this late 80s, early 90s hard rock uh, that, you know, it, it gets kind of painted with that brush. So there must have been a point where, did you guys just get together because like, oh, we hadn't played in a while? Or was it, oh, well, you know, these bands are actually out there doing stuff. So so let's let's see if we can, you know, do something with them. Was it more organic? Just like, oh, let's just hang out and see if people want to come see us play. Because I know it was it was a little while before you guys uh, went back out there, right? Yeah, it was uh, 2008. Right. <clears throat> and before that, we didn't play for like almost 13 years. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just kind of, you know, it was really kind of Steve's idea to kind of put it back together and do a couple of festivals and whatnot. And uh, we had been asked before that, but I don't know, Steve and I were always busy writing and, you know, forming bands and, you know, trying to plow on through. Um, so we never got in like on the Rock Never Stops tours and all those big kind of reunion tours that happened for a couple of years prior to when we put it back together. Sure. So once again, late to the party, but um, <laughs> it's our own fault. I mean, we were in that end space and I for one really didn't think there was that much of a demand for us to come back and play. Um, so, I mean, it was really just kind of like, all right, let's do a couple of shows and see how it feels and, you know, we all have things going on, so let's just do a couple of shows. Let's not, yeah, we're getting the band back together and take on the world. It was just, let's have some fun. Let's play Rocklahoma and Rockfest and all these things, you know, and see how it goes. And it turns out it went great. It was fun. It was fun again. Um, but that being said, we were always kind of just using it as um, kind of cherry picking dates and not like some of the other bands that were still doing it full time. Um, yeah we'd all been busy with other things. So it was just more or less, let's drop this in a couple times a month at most, if we can do that and really just kind of have fun as much as yeah. we can. 
I, I think that, uh, you know, a, a good way of comparison is kind of the way that uh, you mentioned Brett Michaels. He kind of does the balance of there's there's Poison shows every couple of years, but he does he does his own thing, which is a different sound than Poison. You know, it's almost it, it's borderline country, really. And it's that probably makes the Poison part of it still happy, you know, something that he's happy to do. And, you know, in your case, Steve's there's always the chance that Steve's going to get a call from Def Leppard that he has to replace a different member because, uh, you know, he's their go-to guy, which uh, I, I actually, I think I heard an interview with him. Uh, he was talking to Eddie Trunk about how he filled in with, uh, with Def Leppard, you know, to, I don't know what it was, you know, say 25,000 people. And then like the next day he was playing for a couple hundred. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's nice. It's nice when you're that guy on the speed dial, you know, for just another for day in the office. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I, and, and, you know, you guys have done a, a few, uh, new albums in the, the last decade, but, uh, I, I did want to talk to you about, uh, your, your solo uh, work, now you did a, an album a few years ago uh, that was called Boutique Soundframes. And the interesting thing that I, I don't think I realized was that you uh, produced and performed all the inter instruments yourself. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that process because you hear about like, I, I, reportedly Dave Grohl did that for the first Food, Fighter, Food Fighters record. And allegedly Billy Corgan does that for a Smashing Pumpkins record. You know, mm -hmm. he just goes back in the studio by himself. But talk a little bit about that process, just, you know, and like how long it took and, and if, if there was less fighting because you were just fighting with yourself. <laughs> yeah, there's always fighting going on up here. So <laughs> right, sure. Never a shortage of that. Um, yeah, the, a lot of that record was recorded in a time in between Trickster breaking up and reforming. Um, Steve and I, once we put Trickster to rest, we continued, we formed a band called Throwing Rocks, that turned into a band called Soaked, turned into a band called 40 Foot Ringo, and so on and so forth. So we were always writing and recording. And there was always certain styles to, to each one of those bands. But I had always written um, alongside of anything else I was doing. Even, and it just turned out to be songs that I knew I was writing for myself. Um, so anytime I finished one, I was while we were recording, I'm like, you know what? Let me go in there, just bang out the drums and you know, then I'll come lay down, you know, the bass and whatnot and just kind of do it as I was there. And so it wasn't kind of like, all right, I'm going to the studio to do my record or going to the studio to do this EP or anything like that. It's like, you know, what? I got a song, I want to record it. Not bothering calling anybody, you know, I don't write songs that require, you know, uh, masters of shred or uh, drum clinic people. So, I mean, I can kind of get what I hear up here for the most part down. I'm a, I always say this, but I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. So, but sure. I can, you know, I hear the parts in my head. I know what I need and I can get them down for the most part. So I really just did everything just out of, out of um, kind of being lazy and just not really wanting to call anybody and make a big thing of it. And on this record, this new record, um, I wanted some different, hands on it in different fields and kind of think out, think outside the box, you know, I mean, although I wrote all the songs and like pretty much all the parts and everything, you know, it, it would be the kind of thing where, like I did four songs with Sahaj from the band Ra that I'm in. And he's an amazing producer, musician, songwriter. And I would go to him and I would just go, all right, let me lay down the vocal, the guitar track, um, 
the bass, and then here's how I, I hear the beat, and this is kind of the parts I hear, and finish it. And it, I, that was so cool for me, because yeah. I trusted him. I work, I've been working with him for how many years now, and I knew that he knew exactly what I was looking for. So I had that trust in him that I could just go, you know what, finish it, play the guitar, put some guitar on it, and you know, the bed is down, so just you know, put the put the throw pillows on it, and you know, you know, all the bells and whistles. And was this sort of the same kind of approach where you know you'd think of songs and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, and then you just kind of put it aside. It's not like you set out, oh, I'm going to do another solo record. Uh, was this just basically in the four years since the last one? This is some of the stuff you've been working on, and then you started to reach out to people, or or how does it come that this is actually the album? Because it started about two years ago or so. Uh, timeline might be a little bit off, but I just, there was a, a time that I kind of stopped writing like full songs and completing ideas. I was just really, didn't have time. I, you know, my kids during the day and I was gigging at night and everything. So I was really busy and my mind didn't have a lot of time to just wander and be creative. So I would, you know, come up with parts and stuff and record them and then I have a phone full of ideas, unfinished. And um, I would say once my kids kind of, both kids went to school full time, you know, I had my days back and stuff and I could sit and play a little bit longer and just kind of let it happen organically. And then I wrote a song and I finished it. I was like, oh, awesome. I'm like, uh, all right, let me, keep, let me keep at it and see what else happens. So I wanted to go in the studio and record that song because I like to get them out and get them out of my head make sure I recorded it the way I hear it in my head. And then I can kind of free up space on the hard drive and do another one. So that's what I did before I even get in to do the first song. I had written another song. So I got the first two songs done and it was just kind of like, well, I don't know if I have the energy to do a full record because it really takes a lot of time, effort, money. Um, and, you know, not for the same impact that it once had. So it's definitely a labor of love, but so I was just taking it one song at a time, literally, you know, and if I wrote another one, I'd record it. And they just really started coming easily. Um, so before I knew it, I had five, six songs. I'm like, all right, well, let me uh, let me see if somebody wants to get involved with this now, because I'm over the hump. I was gonna just do maybe an EP and just call it a record because, you know, why isn't it a record? EP, LP, fuck that. Five, six songs, that's your yeah. record now. You know, no one's listening yeah. to anything after that anyway, so. Um, <laughs> but they, the songs kept coming. So after about five songs, I sent them off to Bill over at High Vowel Music and asked him if he wanted to be a part of it, if he liked it, and he loved the songs. So he kind of jumped on board and, you know, kind of helped me uh, get into the studio and finish recording it. Uh, and so the end result is called uh, Accent to Change. And by the time people are seeing and listening to this, uh, it's available. They can go to pjfarley.net to uh, find out uh, more about it and uh, to order it. Because, uh, I mean, record stores are open in some cities. But uh, people, yeah, people are ne not necessarily, yeah, you know, a lot of your record stores that are still open, they'll 
they'll they'll walk it out to you and do curbside if that's how you want it or you know however you want to get it um i uh for those that are watching on youtube i wanted to uh ask about the uh cover this so this this eye that's on there that's what i was looking yeah. for uh talk a little bit about that piece of uh that piece of art and uh what if it ties into the title accent the change or if you if if it's uh if there's a relationship at all uh yeah there is a, a big one actually my my eight well she was eight when she did that my daughter did that and she just has it she's like a little artist she's been painting and drawing and now she's sculpting little tiny teeny tiny clay things and like but she's like hyper focused and really creative and she was obsessed with drawing eyes and painting eyes and stuff and i saw that one i'm like oh my god that's like and she's eight years old yeah and I, I i i wouldn't even be able to do a good like cartoon eye you know like a garfield I can't even eye or sign something. my name <laughs> i don't know where she gets it but i mean so i was like that that's that's gonna be my own cup no no doubt about it and uh i just didn't tell her about it and even now she doesn't know it yet <laughs> um, she knows something is up but she doesn't know it's gonna be the album cover because yeah. you know she's nine now and she's probably gonna be like daddy why did you do that yeah that's terrible like she's an artist she's like that's that's terrible why would you do that i was eight years old when you did that yeah. oh yeah just have an eight-year-old do your album cover <laughs> she's, i think she's gonna be pissed yeah. and when she's 12 but, she's gonna come in and like you know daddy i didn't sign a release for that uh i'm gonna actually have yeah. some uh my my attorney's actually I'm going to pay her off. So. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it's funny that you're talking about the children's artwork because uh, for people who are watching on YouTube, you can see I have this wall behind me and uh, this is, this is my kid's uh, artwork, my five-year-old Felix. And uh, I was doing an interview like this and uh, I was talking to Dave Alfson of uh, Meta uh, not Metallica. Oof, he would hate that. Megadeth. <laughs> and he was, uh, he was just, uh, you know, you can't help but notice. And uh you know, so uh, I, I'll send you some scans for uh, future album covers if you okay. want to license anything from, uh, from right, my right. son. Uh, see, I got, I got all thrown off because I said Metallica, <laughs> but that's all right. Ah, come on, everybody's friends now, aren't they? Didn't that happen, didn't that happen to the Grammys too? Yeah, well, yeah, they, they gave a Grammy to Megadeth, but they played a Metallica song. But right, right. That's, the part, that's the part of the Grammys that isn't on TV anyway, you know, because still it's got a, the Grammy. Yeah, it's true. They do still have the Grammy. That's a great like, point. I don't give a shit what you play. <laughs> Get this home. Yeah, right, exactly. That's my Grammy, by the way. <laughs> the, 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 well, hey look you've got a you got a lot of good uh, decoration uh there you know you've got uh gold and platinum records it uh, looks like and uh, uh i think that's uh you know that that's always the the thing and hey, look i'm happy with uh, my kids artwork that's all right i'll i'll, I'll take that Absolutely. uh so the uh so obviously the idea of putting out an album uh, traditionally any year before 2020 is great I'm going to do some shows and uh, try and get out there uh, and show it to people. Now I looked at your website and I never know anymore if somebody has dates on their website, if they're dates that are actually happening or things that are going to be rescheduled. So are you able to go out and do some shows where you're going to you know, promote this or is that stuff that'll probably end up happening in 2021? Um, no, it's definitely possible. You know, I'm just, I'm going to choose not to do the stadiums this year. Yeah. So I'll just bring it down to the yeah. more clubs. <laughs> yeah. You know, and try to revive their, you know, yeah. 
their businesses. So, you know, get, kind of give back. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay away from the big live nation. Yeah. Rooms now. You're, you're, you're going to, uh, yeah. It's like you revisit that in April or, you know, summer of 2021. Some, summer 2021, maybe the garden, but uh, right. not, uh, not, this, <laughs> uh, but uh, so are, are you doing some shows though? Like to, I will, I don't have anything booked yet. Okay. For, yeah. Um, myself alone. I yeah. have a bunch of things um, booked with Eric Martin. Who I oh, for Mr. Mark. Big, yeah. And um, so I do a song or two of mine, and we do Mr. Big and um, a couple trickster songs. And so um, there's there's venues that are up and running. So we're yeah. fine. Yeah, I've gotten just, I've got I've gotten careful about asking that question ever since. And I, I've used this example in a, in a few subsequent interviews. Uh, I was talking to, to this guy Randy Rand from uh, Autograph. And I was saying like, okay, so you're going to tour for the new album next year. He's like, no, we just did a show in Colorado for 7,000 people because it was outside, you know? And I don't know, I guess. So just, I live in Los Angeles. Uh, so there's, there's an occasional drive-in show that you'll hear about like up in Ventura, but yeah. uh, we don't get much, but you do hear about it. I hear from people in other parts of the country that uh, some of them are outdoors. And I guess there are places I think even in New Jersey, they could have concerts at like 25% capacity, but then I think that's where you get into the idea of, yeah, but can you make money doing that? You know, so. Yeah. Uh, different places, different guidelines. Yeah. yeah, no, and I mean, it's it's interesting because you'll you'll see some bands will specifically, you know, be touring places and you're like, well, they're going to do like five cities in Missouri and Alabama and, you know, those places. So, yeah, I mean, it's it just depends. Uh, so is this is something that you you'd like to live with for a little while though like when you're able to do shows of your own uh but uh going out with uh, eric from mr big that must uh it must be good because then you can you can at least get one or two out there right yeah yeah kind of a little taste yeah exactly so that's that's kind of uh i don't know i think i i think it must be nice to have you done any of those shows or are those all upcoming throughout the fall so you're, yeah you're we've happy. been doing this for a couple of years now okay yeah, so uh, that yeah, so that must be great to uh, get out there. And the idea of more trickster is it like you said? It's just every once in a while when it makes sense that that's what you guys do. Maybe for a festival. Have, have you guys done any of the cruises, the the big rock cruises? Um, trickster has not. No. Yeah. Well, I I wouldn't plan for any in 2021. Uh, if if you thought that this was the year that you guys might actually do a cruise, I, I I'm just saying don't don't hold out hope for you know, any cruises. I don't mean for trickster. I just mean for, for, you know, people uh, going on, on cruise ships. In you have one booked in October, though, the Chris Jericho cruise. It was oh, okay. February, you got pushed to October. Okay. Well, so, there you go. So that's okay. So, so the question. That, that shows, yeah, that shows what I know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when, you know, we were talking about KISS before. When, when KISS moves their, their cruise by a whole year, that's when you just assume, all right, well, you must not be able to, to do cruises, you know, but uh, yeah. that, that makes sense. Um, so that was uh, something that I kind of wanted to end with. I wanted to specifically uh, talk to you about, uh, you know, getting to play with KISS at that point in their career. So you guys had had the, the first album out, you were doing the second record. So you at least had a following and uh but uh talk a talk a little bit about i guess you'd done plenty of big arenas with other bands but what was it like 
is it different like a kiss crowd versus i mean you know you're talking about poison versus uh scorpions i mean i think even at a point where maybe they didn't sell out every night that that seems to me to be you know very laser focused as somebody who's been a kiss fan for i don't know since i was in middle school you know so yeah it goes um, back to uh what i was saying about the scorpions the scorpions was a great kind of prelude to going out with kiss because it was the same kind of mentality got to go out there and you got to kick some ass because you know they're there for kiss yeah you know, no question about it i mean luckily we did have you know success on the first record so people were aware of us you know whether they hated us or loved us you know we had right. both in the in the right. arena that night you know so um it was our job to play great for the ones who loved us and play even better for the ones who didn't yeah, no, no. I mean, that, uh, that, that definitely makes sense that, uh, you know, and I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it, there's always a spectacle sort of to, you know, to that band, the way that, uh, that they perform. And I think that, you know, if say there was, this wouldn't have been trickster, but you know, if you were going to be one of those bands that kind of stands on stage and, you know, keeps your head down the whole time that, that wouldn't go over well with that crowd, you know, because that's not what they're looking. It doesn't not, even matter what they're looking. 92. Yeah, not 93, 94. Yeah, at some of those same venues. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, uh, PJ, I uh, look forward to uh, hearing the uh, album myself. I've uh, heard little snippets of it, as I was telling you beforehand. And uh, I uh, and, and PJFarley.net is where people can find it. And that's where they'll be able to uh, keep in touch with you. Are you uh, active on other social media? I saw that you had them, but I wasn't sure if, uh, if you're using them enough uh, where you want to give those out. Yes, I am. I'm active. Um... You can get the, I mean, so the record, you can get it anywhere you get music. If you want physical, you can go to right to the label, highvolmusic.com or um, find them on social media, you can go to Amazon, you know, iTunes and stream it, do whatever you want. Wherever you get music, you'll be able to get it. Um, yeah. And um, Instagram at PJ Farley. Um, my Facebook, my personal Facebook is, you know, it's, it's been full for years. So it's kind of like, I get all these requests. And I just can't do anything with it. I have a PJ Farley music Facebook page. You can, you can, you know, like, and I'm active on that as well. Um, or again, you know, Instagram, Twitter. I don't really, I don't really tweet much. It's connected to my Instagram and that's kind of the root of all of them for me. Yeah, I think that uh, Instagram, oddly enough, it seems to be uh, preferred by so many people because you just don't have to read so much. You know, you just scroll through and, and you get to see it. Uh, so uh, the the actual uh, last thing I wanted to say was because I remembered that uh, I had read this in your real bio. This wasn't from Wikipedia. It says that you've played every arena, theater, outdoor pavilion and club all over the world. Uh, and I, I don't doubt it because considering the time that you're talking about, I was kind of wondering as somebody, you know, who grew up in the part of the country that you're from, was there like getting to stand on a, on a stage where there are a couple of those like, wow, I'm like on stage at the Meadowlands or the Garden, or even if it was something like, you know, that you'd heard of like the Whiskey at Go-Go, you know, out here in LA, were there a couple of those moments of like, oh, wow, I'm actually here in this place? Yeah, well, definitely the Meadowlands in New Jersey, and it was always a dream of mine and, and the bands. So we were able to do that twice, um, which was special. Um, Red Rocks in Denver, sold sure. out right at sundown. Beautiful, perfect 
couldn't have bought a better day. Um, uh, so many, I mean, you know, I'm lucky to have played so many great places and so many big crowds and I don't know, but those two definitely stand out. Yeah, Red Rocks is one of those places that uh, you you always hear about, and it's uh, you know it's the idea of you know planning a trip for uh, for a concert sort of it, for me went out the window when uh, I, I had kids. But uh, I always I've always wanted to go there, and I, I'm de- I'm determined to uh, see something there one day because that that does seem like one of those places. But, it's a unique uh, setting, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, PJ, I do appreciate you being so generous with your time and uh, talking about uh, the new album and uh, obviously uh, everything from before that. And I want to make sure I get it exactly right. Accent to change. I, I, had, I added an extra word that uh, one, so accent to change, pjfarley.net. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Christian. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Let it rain. Let me fall down. joined now by musician Joey Sykes, who's part of an all-star instrumental rendition of the Beatles classic, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, proceeds go to benefit music education in public schools. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the song. We'll talk about a lot more. Uh, Joey, welcome back to the show. Thank you. How's it going, man? Good to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you. We're sort of at this interesting point in the pandemic where I get this opportunity to talk to all these great musicians like yourself. And now we're at a point where I'm starting to speak to people for the second time. And I, I spoke with you and I was like, oh, it wasn't that long ago. And I looked, it was six months ago. <laughs> and yet, you know, here we are, <laughs> you know, still mostly in our houses. Things seem a little bit better than April, but at the same time, you know, it's uh, still a crazy world out there, maybe even a little crazier. So it's, uh, it, it's crazy to think that in my head, I just talked to you but it was six months and the world really isn't that different than six months ago. Somehow I turned into the crisis guy, the crisis songwriter (laughs) producer guy. But, uh, you know, last time we spoke was the beginning of the, you know, the COVID song that I wrote, let's get through this. And, you know, and uh, not that this, this new thing is a crisis, but it was just something that was kind of started from the, the lockdown. Yeah. I mean, the, the cause is uh, something that, I hadn't uh, necessarily thought much about. Uh, you know, I've talked to uh, David Olfson from Megadeth a couple times, and he's done a lot uh, with a variety of other people for you know music education for kids. You know, especially during this time, he's gotten yeah. a lot of people to do stuff like that. And obviously, you know, you can prioritize all sorts of needs out there, but that doesn't mean that this isn't still important. You know what I mean? You can you can talk about what's going on now, but it's, you know, kids, I mean, my kids, I'm, I was just telling before we started, I'm lucky that my kids are, you know, in, in preschool and out of the house and they get to interact with other kids, 
but you know, kids are doing everything on Zoom. It's it would be great for them to have opportunities for music lessons and things like that. You know, instead of just math and reading and all that stuff. But there's like, I mean, when schools were open, there was no money for it. I mean, so uh, obviously that's an important part of this. Um, but before we sort of talk about the organizations and all that. Uh, I did want to talk about the project itself. Uh, first of all, uh, I love this rendition of the song "While My Guitar Gently Weeps," of course, uh, and it's uh, it's going to be a great song no matter what because it's the Beatles. But uh, you have so many great musicians in here. Uh, I watched the video version of it, so that was great because you're like, oh hey, it's like oh, and look who else is there, you know? You know that, dude. Yeah, a couple of <laughs> couple of my favorites personally, uh, Tommy Hendrickson from Alice Cooper, but uh, then I saw. Uh, Kevin Eubanks from The Tonight Show. And I'm like, oh my God, Kevin Eubanks from The Tonight Show. I hadn't thought about him in a little while. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it was like, you know, all these names pop up. I'm like, oh yeah. So talk a little bit about putting the song together and the other collaborators that are involved in it with you. Yeah, it's funny. It's kind of like the video is like a, like a whack-a-mole of famous people. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> By the end of it, right? No, um, well, like, um, so first of all, I mean, music education being on the chopping block is nothing new and um i i just started so young in my life that it it kind of speaks to me like you know i started like seven years old so the, the thought of like having music education possibly be what you do the rest of your life speaks to me you know what i mean because that's that's how it happened with me um so when when the time came up where I knew everyone was, you know, no one was touring and everyone was going to be like around and available and most people have uh, studios or, or some means of recording in their in their home. So I just I kind of wanted to do something meaningful with the time and, and maybe productive. And, you know, I don't even have kids. That's the funny part. So, you know, it's not like I had some reason like that. It's just I, you know, I feel for kids. And uh, so. I. Uh, you know, came up with that idea while my guitar gently weeps with no vocals, just, you know, a bunch of guitar players, you know, with, with addition to a couple of great drummers, Greg Bissonette and Steve Ferroni and um, a couple of bass players, Jeff Pilson and, and Jack Daly and Roger Manning on keyboards. Other than that, about 20 guitar players. So I basically just uh, started with drums, you know, kind of got the bed of the track together and 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 put put down my versions my my guitar throughout and all that stuff and i just you know hit up my friends and people i work with and and just told them what i was doing they were all right on board man it was it was really a great response and they all they all went above and beyond and i can't thank them enough you know yeah, no, that's great, Neo. And we were talking about the video version for a second. So talk a little bit about that. I assume everybody's kind of, you know, playing it in isolation by themselves. There's not yeah. like some gigantic, you know, Zoom screen with like 50 different musicians trying to sync it up. I can't imagine how that would work, you know. So it, it, talk a little bit about the process of putting the actual video together. Well, I had I had certain people in mind to, to play solos because there's limited amount of solos you could do, like actual solos. There's like maybe um maybe like seven spots for solos so i had those in mind and i just really told everybody give me whatever you're inspired to play like different sounds on your guitar even different instruments i, I have somebody playing the guitar the, the vocal melody on like a ukulele for example uh pedal steel there's a cello in there so my my vision was not to just have uh 
kind of typical guitar players just going although there is some of that in there i just really you know encourage everybody to get as creative as you want you know doesn't even have to be stuff that's on the beatles version if you feel inspired to like write a little part and some people did that and uh by the time that was all you know people were sending me tracks it started to get really interesting and then i also told i asked everybody to film yourself you know playing you know cell phone or whatever and then i, I got that footage so at the end of it it was like a really big session <laughs> between yeah. the audio and the video and it was yeah yeah, so you gotta you gotta cut together all the audio, and then you have all this video. And uh, I think it was good to uh, have the little the little like pop up videos of the names, so that uh, you know you can I see where that. everybody yeah, is. Yeah. The uh, video editor is a uh, a guy named Mike Savage who really really did me a solid. I mean, he he did such a great job with this. Um, I was a little bit of a pain in the ass to with him, but he was <laughs> just so easy to work with. He's he was in uh, Kansas City, so we had to like do everything. You know, I, was, I mailed him a drive with like. 30 gigs of you know so it was just crazy but he did a great job i'd like to thank him as well yeah uh obviously there are so many musicians that i don't want to go through all of them but uh a couple of them jump out uh when you see sort of you know they i have the list and then in parentheses it says some of the people they worked with yeah. so i want to specifically hear about uh earl slick who played with not just david bowie and john lennon and john Waite, but those three are there and playing with Bowie and John Lennon, it's like, I, I can't even imagine, you know, uh, no pun intended. As soon as I said, imagine, I realized that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful that he agreed to play on this. Um, it was a little bit of a long shot. He's He doesn't do too much, you know, um, but he was one of the last guys to play with John Lennon, which is to me, that's the the, the Mecca, you know, so he was sure, on yeah. fantasy. So he was working with him uh, in those sessions when, when he got shot. I mean, he would go back and forth from the record plant and with you know Jack Douglas and and so Earl Slick was in on that little that little team which to me is so amazing and he's also the guitar player for all that great early Bowie stuff like Golden Years and sure. all that stuff's him on guitar you know so um, you know I, I I talked to him and told him what I was doing and another another guy I'm really thankful to and and, and for for uh, being involved in the project yeah. And I just assume that a lot of these are musicians that, you know, you've just crossed paths with or sometimes yeah. maybe just friends of friends. And it's just like, yeah, let's see. And, and I feel like if you're asking people to, you know, play on a new record or, hey, I have a song, it, it's one thing. And I'm not saying you wouldn't get a lot of feedback, but when it's like, hey, do you want to play a little bit of While My Guitar Gently Weeps? You know, that's that's probably something that uh, it's very easy to have people be excited about playing that song, you know? Yeah, it's 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 it's, a, it's one of those songs that are most people's, you know, up there in the, one of my favorite songs kind of category, you know, and I think that combined with the uh, charity, that, so there was a reason for it. Uh, there was an element of of coolness to it. I think I don't, I don't think it was a you know very uh, typical version, which is really you know by design. I wanted to do something a little different, you know, and um, you know I think. You know, let, let, let's face it. I mean, people see some other people involved with it, like, you know, Greg Bissonette and Ferroni and Roger Manning. And, you know, there's like, yeah, yeah man, I'm in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, different things were uh, contributed to the lineup that, that I was able to get. And uh, I think they all trusted me that I was going to do a good job with it, which, 
hopefully they did you know like yeah no i mean it definitely it definitely turned out great for sure yeah they knew i wasn't going to hack it up and they were going to (laughs) be on this what did i say yes to the interesting you know, thing was when I had it emailed to me, the press release and the song itself, uh, I had just been talking about with someone the, about this song, about While My Guitar Gently Weeps, obviously the Beatles version. And you know how there's the uncredited guitar playing from Eric Clapton because he couldn't appear on the record because of you know record contract and all that. And the thing that always drove me crazy is the fact that there's like this guitar solo at the end and then they fade it out. You're like, what? no, there's got to be at least two great minutes that you're like, nah, we don't need that. Come back. <laughs> yeah. It's just, and, you know, and that's the, that's the time too. It's like, yeah, you know, you could probably find a cut that has like, you know, 15, 20 more seconds or something, you know, but it's like nobody, nobody saved stuff the way they do now, you know. Like it, somewhere in that session, someone hit the talk back, said, Eric, we're good. We're good, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we're good, mate. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you've already got a record deal. We, you got the gig. It's fine. You know? Uh, so it, but it, it's, it is one of those iconic songs. I mean, obviously the, the Beatles have so many, and I think that that's a great way to sort of bring attention to uh, the, the two nonprofit organizations that it, you're working with for this. Uh, talk a little bit about little kids rock and save the music and how this is, you know, dealing with what we were talking about music education. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's so many charities out there and they all have really well-intended, you know, in- intentions and, and it, it's hard to narrow it down. Um, so, like I said, this subject really speaks to me of like, you know, music education in public schools. Sometimes schools can't afford, you know, in, in you know, lesser fortunate neighborhoods or whatever around the country. They can't afford much maybe, you know, so... Um, when school is actually in session, both of these charities do a great job with making sure they have instruments. And, and now that a lot of stuff is virtual, they all both do a great job at virtual lessons and making sure kids can have that as an option as well. So, you know, Little Kids Rock, which was uh, brought to me by Steve Ferroni. He's the one who kind of hit me to that. And then, um, Save the music, which is was was brought to me by a, a friend of mine who who worked with them. So um, both charities do great work. They're they're honest. They're they're you know no no shady stuff going on. So uh, those were the two choices, and I I kind of brought them together. It's going to be one or the other, and I kind of brought them together. And they had known of each other and worked together, so it, it it went down pretty good. Like where it was like, okay, we we can work with them. And then I said, well whatever money comes in, you guys split it. You, you, the accounting goes to them. I, I obviously are, I'm out of that side of it, you know? So. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I guess it's as simple as what, like people, you know, buy the song on iTunes, you know, that's how you generate the proceeds is that sort of a thing. There is a donate button on the video. Okay. You scroll down and then save the music um, on their Facebook page is where also the charity. So the charity lives on their page which I, I, I guess it's just save the music. It, it's on Facebook. Um, I should know this, but uh, so the charity lives there. It came out like it was launched like 10 days ago. And right. then also my, um, the video that's up on my YouTube page also has the donate button there. So it all goes to the same place. So those are the two places that you can go to. Yeah, and I'm sure it's uh, fairly easily found. Obviously, it, Joey Sykes S Y K E S. That's the important part, and uh, I know right. you have uh, that as as your website. 
Uh, so yeah, I hope that, uh, that this is able to uh, really help out what's a, what's a great cause. You know, we were talking uh, when we started, you mentioned the last time we talked was uh, the, the song that you did, uh, Let's Get Through This. And I was sort of wondering, you know, now we had six months, what sort of feedback did you get uh, from people? Obviously you haven't been able to like go out and play the song live or anything, but uh, you know, it's out on YouTube and everything. What have uh, people said sort of about having something that uh, speaks to what's going on these days? Yeah, I mean, in, in another time, maybe it could have been, a, or it's never too late, but I, I envision that it potentially could get a lot of airplay and be like a little, you know, not a hit, but it's certainly a song that can speak to everybody right now. Sure, yeah. So that's pretty powerful. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't have a giant reach. I, if you have any ideas for me, I mean, you know, I, I tried to get it out there, did get some airplay. The response on the whole idea and the song has been amazing. Every, everyone you know, was like over the top about, oh my God, this is such a great song. And, um, you know, we're all, we're all trying to figure out how to get it out there. And, and, and these days, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the world is available. People are online and checking stuff out. I, I, I don't know. Being a small fish in a, in a big pond is tough sometimes, but uh, I wish it could get out there. And ironically, six months later, it's still relevant and it's still a song that you can feel. Which yeah it, you know it would be nice to be in a situation where if you heard that song now you'd be like oh yeah remember remember when everything was like that back in exactly. like April and May and then the, that's and then probably what came. I mean like god it yeah. has limited shelf life yeah you are like oh by the summer ah, nobody's gonna need a song like this anymore you know we'll have a big fourth of July celebration you know I was even thinking maybe there's an artist that's an, an established artist that you know wanted wanted to put that song out i mean sure. they can hit with it but haven't found the right situation and I, I don't know so well it's a great song and and look it's it's like it'll be applicable to you know just yeah. life in general you know even when we're fortunately you know past this so uh yeah i think that uh it's great that it's out there and uh yeah i mean i i i'm sure that uh I guess it's it's kind of the the mixed blessing right now. You know, it's it's hard to get word of mouth out there, but it's like once you have people, it's a lot easier to hang on to them than it used to be. You know, it, yeah. I've talked to a lot of artists. It used to be like, oh, I really like that band. Oh, wait, they had an album come out four months ago. Well, if you like a band, you probably follow them on something. You know, uh, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And then, so like, you're always going to know what's going on, you know, I mean. Right. And, and for any of your listeners, I mean, that the, the While My Guitar Gently Weeps thing is on my YouTube page, which I would love for people to subscribe to my channel because that's going to be like my label of where I put all my songs and yeah. stuff. So it's, it's not listed on the Joey Sykes. I mean, it's kind of, I, I don't know how to make it easier to find, but it's, if you just go While My Guitar Gently Weeps, the principles is what I call the project spelled okay. like principle, you know? So, so the principals, the way you spell the school principal, right? Not, yeah. Right. There's a little play on words, not, but, um, not Janet Jackson, pleasure principle. That's no, a different spelling. Yeah. With that. So <laughs> anyway, so it, it is on my YouTube channel. So you could either find my channel and it's there, or if you, know, while my guitar gently weeps, the principles that that's what it is. So I know I, I, I didn't know how to make it easily search easily searchable, but it's the best I could come up with for now. Well, it's uh, the one thing you don't have to worry about is people remembering the song title. You know, it's like, oh, it's a cover of, uh, oh yeah, right. 
right, know, right, right. One of like, I don't know, the 50 greatest songs ever recorded. Uh, the last time I talked to you, uh, I didn't want to just sort of rattle off, uh, you know, the, I was given this list of some of the, some of the musicians that you either uh, performed with or shared a stage with. And I mean, there's so many, I still wouldn't be able to go through all of them, but there's a couple of, of characters who really stand out. Uh, somebody who just seems, uh, somebody that's sort of like fascinating from afar. I'm just sort of wondering, like, when do you end up playing with Don Henley? Okay, so th th that list that I have on my site is a collection yeah. of people that, like I said, I've either, either opened for, sure. played on stage with, or, or whatever. And none of it's a lie. Sure. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> now listen, though. come on, guy. No, but so Henley, um, the, the connection with that was in like late 90s, he was auditioning guitar players for his, uh, uh, what was that solo album he had? Um, no. under, uh, oh, the one I, I, I was thinking much earlier, the, you know, the big one he had in the late 80s was the End of the Innocence. No, but, not uh, that. It was yeah. the late 90s, uh, something job, inside job. Oh, was yeah. that it? Yeah, yeah. inside job. It. He Definitely. put out a record late '90s, so he was auditioning guitar players, and I heard about it, and I, I got on it like last minute. There was only like five guitar players that went on this audition, so it wasn't a cattle call. So I got on it, and um, and I lost out to Peter Stroud, who was in my video of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of knew Peter was going to get it because I, it was basically just a matter of if he was available. So he was available. So he's the one who got it along with Frank Symes, who was in the band already. And um, the keyboard player who also went on out audition is, is now from then and now in the Eagles and anything Henley does will uh, have. And he, uh, he was um, in Meredith Brooks with me. Right. The last time we talked to you, uh, uh, the last time I talked to you, there's only one of me. Uh, the last time we talked, though, uh, yeah. we mentioned that, yeah, you played on that that song, Bitch, that Meredith Brooks did, which was the live stuff. The yeah, live yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, yeah. of course, is, uh, you know, mm -hmm. you'll, it'll it'll still turn up in a movie or uh, you don't oh, really yeah. see it in commercials, but uh, <laughs> one day it'll probably be in a commercial. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it is one of those people where you just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely remember that. Um there's uh, somebody that I saw on there that uh, unfortunately no longer with us, uh, John Entwistle from The Who. So what? What? Uh, how do you end up? Uh, whether that was with him or or how was? What were those circumstances? Those were um, one of my first bands I was ever in. We played the Nam Show and we uh, opened up for Entwistle. So it was just on the same same yeah. stage, you know, that we kind of like opened up for. He 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 was on that show. We we opened the show, and then uh, ended up hanging out with them in a crazy story. But um, my the manager of that band I was in called Boys Town was managed by the owner of the China Club, the oh, okay. club back in the day. And Entwistle was like a fixture at the China Club. So um, after that was I think it was after that show we all ended up back at the, the big mansion that my manager had and Aunt Whistle was there and we were just like hanging out in the kitchen of that house. <laughs> it was just one of my, like, I was like a little kid. I was like, oh. I mean, that's gotta be crazy when it's, it's like, uh, you know, you're like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with, uh, you know, it's just stupid. 25% you know? of the who, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, 
the interesting thing is when you see, you know, there's uh, obviously there's like a there's like a mix of of some of the different musicians, but it it probably speaks to you know your versatility versatility and in, in throughout your career that you also you know it's it's got Louis Prima Jr. but then also like Queen Latifah and and in sync and uh brian adams who like there's different levels of brian adams you know there's like the little bit more rocking brian adams there's the song from that robin hood movie brian adams and then like early in his career it was like very poppy but he's i mean he like co-wrote songs on kisses creatures of the night like so he's got like oh, yeah. you know, really rocking side to him so out of any of the names I've just rattled off, uh, any of those uh, jump out as, uh, you know, kind of a, a unique, interesting experience out of uh, Brian Adams in sync or Queen Latifah? Out of those three or out of the whole list? It could be the whole list. Yeah, those are just the ones that I was thinking of. Brian Adams jumped out at me, but anybody Brian, that you, yeah. Brian Adams, you mentioned Tommy Hendrickson. So sure. he's a good friend of mine. So I played guitar for Tommy in the late 90s as well. And we kind of did a tour and uh we we opened up for uh, brian adams i think one time in florida if I, if I remember correctly so i think and i think it was just me and tommy like doing an acoustic opening oh wow okay yeah like his record was out and on, on capital and we kind of went on a little little radio tour so i think we we ended up opening his show i think that's that's the way that went down and uh uh so my favorite experience probably was don henley because in that audition, I, I got to play the whole set with, with him and his band and sing harmonies with him, which is, I mean, oh, I wow. love harmonies. Yeah. But like to have Don Henley coming back in my monitor and like me, you know, stand next to him singing harmonies with him and playing, you know, Dirty Laundry and all those crazy solos. That was just an amazing experience to just play like nine songs with Henley. Yeah. And like, obviously, I'm sure you wanted the gig, but the fact that, you know, not getting the gig, you're still able to look back, you know, it wasn't just you and like an airplane <laughs> hangar playing for like his manager, you know what I mean? It was like, you actually like got to play. So. Yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, just to get that opportunity was, was enough. Of course, if you, if you, if you got it, it would have been life changing, but you know, that, that, you know, that's enough. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the last one I'll ask from this list and then I'll ask you a couple other questions is uh, just because I, you know, basically when I first started liking any kind of rock music, I always like kiss sort of uh, from the, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit younger. So it's the, uh, like the uh, animal eyes, look it up era. My brother had those records. So that's how right. I found that band was like in the, in the eighties. So uh, did you, did you play with Paul or was it uh, part of, uh, were you on a, on a bill with him or how did you uh, interact with Paul Stanley? Yeah, that was another situation that I was uh, found myself in. I, I was um, in Puerto Rico and I was playing with a band and he was there. He was, Kiss was touring and somebody who I think had something to do with booking him brought him to the, the, the place we were playing at and asked him if he would get on stage. And he did. So we, we, uh, he, he jumped up and did strutter with us. Oh, that's very cool. Which was really crazy. Cause he yeah. gave it his all. He wasn't, he wasn't dodging it at all. He was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh 
my god there's another one i was like 16 or 17 or something like that just, you know and and i'm sure you know sure stuff like that happens all the time like uh when you have somebody like paul stanley jump up on stage is it just like what do you want to sing or do you give him a couple like you know which one of these three songs would you like or, or how does how does that work that you you know because like i've seen all sorts of you know musicians jump up on stage and play and then just like i don't know how that you know that conversation happens you know that's like here's what we're going to play right now that one was was if i remember correctly so long ago um he was backstage we were we would just hanging out and we had our guitars on and yeah it was a discussion what do you, you know we love if you came up and you know jammed with us and so we would just we like knew all the kiss songs you know so we like well how about something old you know and so um we actually were going over it like you know handing him a guitar and going over it because i don't think it was in that set at that, that time i don't even remember what theater it was um but uh so then we just counted it off counted it in and we went off and he, he did a great job and we all knew it so yeah i remember uh you know just as as a fan obviously in the audience as much as i like music i don't uh have uh, any any uh, ability to play or sing or anything other than bad karaoke that i subject my wife to but uh just as a fan i remember uh i i once went to a show for a little while at the meadowlands in new jersey they were doing shows outside in the parking lot for some reason which sounds like something you would do now and it was uh, Skid Row was the headliner, Pantera was opening. And so they did a jam at the end with the guys from those two bands and Ace Freely, and they did uh, Cold Gin. And so like, that's always like, you know, yeah. that was one of those first ones that I remember as a kid where it just like it blew my, cause I'd never seen Ace play at that point because this was 92, 93 maybe. So, you know, I mean, he wasn't really like out doing much at that point. I mean, he had a, you know, he'd had a few solo records but he wasn't touring the way he does now, you know, so. Uh, yeah. You know, just like it, it's always cool when you're in the audience and it's like something crazy like that happens, you know, it's totally, uh, totally, yeah. you know, uh, but uh, anyway, it's uh, so that must have been great for, you know, the band. But anybody watching that show is like, oh, is <laughs> Paul Stanley's here. Um, speaking started, of, uh, go started, ahead. I started so young in my career that things started happening when I was like 13, you know, like I was like yeah. one of those child kind of guitar players and then I was playing bars and I was like 14, 15. So things really progressed quick. And even if I look back on my career, I think things just was always like one thing after the other. You know, the thing that's been constant since I'm about 20 is uh, songwriting. You know, I've, I've yeah. always really hunkered down and, and tried to be a better songwriter, you know, and that's kind of what I pride myself in right now. Yeah, well, speaking of, you know, playing outside in parking lots, uh, over these last, uh, I guess we're in month seven now, have you have you done any playing like uh, outside gigs or uh, traveled anywhere or you uh, mostly stay at home or uh, what, uh, what level of, uh, you know, performing have you been able to do? Well, you know, I play with the babies and we have yeah. all of our dates yanked like everybody. So, sure. um, you know, I play like some acoustic, you know, uh, outdoor gigs in, down in Orange County a lot not a lot but you know not just you know I have been out there playing just different like country clubs or restaurants sure. or whatever just kind of like playing just Beatles Eagles Stones yeah Floyd, you know just like that kind of thing just singing and playing and uh, that has to that has to feel great to get out there, you know, and, and I'm sure that, you know, the people at wherever the wherever it is that you're performing, they're just so happy to see live music. I mean, I've uh, talked to, you know, a few 
comedians who are you know doing gigs sometimes they are like out in parking lots or drive-ins and stuff and people are just happy to have something to go to you know to see it and it's like in a way it's kind of like the best crowds because it's like <laughs> the bar is not what it usually is you know and, and it's, it's not that you not that you wouldn't be out there giving it your all but i mean you know sometimes people maybe don't pay attention or whatever uh, but i feel like right now i mean i haven't seen anything <laughs> live yeah i've gone to the drive-in a few times just for movies but i haven't been to a show since the middle of march you know well, so it means different things to different people you know like i just did a um i just did a private party this past saturday and it was it was really nice man i have to say like i didn't know what to expect um they hired me to play it was a 50th anniversary for okay. this this woman hired me for her parents 50th anniversary so she had emailed me like before the gig, like a couple of days and said, well, it, it, because of COVID, it ended up turning into a smaller thing. I thought she was going to say, we're going to cancel it. But she said, but we still want you to play. So I said, ah, no problem, man, whatever you want me to do. So I go, go to this house in Huntington Beach, <laughs> set up in the yard. And it, it was really nice. They had a yard and it was their parents, her, her brother, his wife and two kids. So that ended up, they just wanted to make it a little family thing. They, they even had some masks on, even within the family. So I set up like in the back of the yard and they had a cake and catered and everything. So it was me and this family. And I can't tell you how happy they were. Like by the end of it, they were like, this is so, this was so special to us. And I'm like, ah, so cool, man. You got such a beautiful family. And this was a really cool thing to do. So it was so small, but it meant so much to them, you know, and that was really, that felt really nice to do that. You know? Yeah, no, that has to be a great feeling, you know, especially it's sort of, you know, they're, you're basically being a part of this kind of intimate gathering, which I think even if the party had happened the way they planned, it still, you know, probably wouldn't have been huge, but yeah, it's just the family. And yeah, it's like, you know, you go to a few things and, uh, Every once in a while, you know, there have been very small gatherings that we've like gone to with the kids and, you know, you have people, most of the people are wearing masks and stuff like that. And then, you know, when you're, and, you know, we, we went to this thing at, uh, you know, the theme parks uh, aren't open in, uh, well, in California at all, but, and Knott's Berry Farm's not open, but they were doing this like food tasting thing and you could take the kids on like trick or treating. And, you know, so it's like, at first we're like, oh, I don't know, but then you go and it's like, you're just eating outside. There's nobody near you. And they're like super diligent about giving little candy to the kids. It's like, they're wearing like two gloves. It's like, no, you can't take it from me. I have to drop it in your bag. And it's like little things like that, that it just, it's like, you know, you're like, okay, yeah, I can be comfortable in this situation, you know? And it's, it's just like surreal things. Like I, I went into a mall for the first time, like two weeks ago and you just kind of, you know, at first you're like, this is weird. And then you're like, you know what? It's, it's not really that weird. It's just because people are, I guess, everybody's kind of in the same headspace, you know, no, nobody, nobody wants to get sick because they ran out to the mall, you know, so everybody's being pretty respectful and staying away, you know? Yeah. I mean, the reality of it, it is, it is, it is a thing. It is real. It is bad. Sure. And the reality of it is in some cases, people are probably overblowing it, but I totally get it. I'm with it. I'm with it. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm, if I think the biggest problem is everyone needs to just be on the same page you can't have one one chunk of people on you know not doing anything and then one chunk of people taking care because then the numbers are going to still be there whether it's yeah. you know, spiking or not spiking and that's when you're not going to get a control on it because just there's not enough people on the same page you know so when when hopefully and if that happens maybe they'll have it more under control and then 
then you could open up more and be more you slowly get back to real life but it's just tough when so many people are not believing in it you know that's the yeah. way my opinion on it. no no that's a and that's that's why i brought it up you know because it's yeah. uh, we have so much time to think about all of this stuff you know yeah. these days and uh i i often say that the worst thing you can do is is watch you know the news for more than half an hour because uh you know then it's gonna like it's gonna just really you know it's a lot of important stuff out there to know about but it's like yeah don't don't dwell in it just uh you know be careful and do what you can um well joey it's uh nice to get a chance to chat with you again and uh Hopefully, uh, I, I said this six months ago, but hopefully there's uh, shows before we know it and I'll be able to, uh, you know, come and see whatever you're working on. Uh, for While My Guitar Gently Weeps, you're just saying the easiest way is to just go to YouTube, type that in, or do they put in the principles? What's the best way to find the song? Well, for, for me, it would be great to go to Joey Sykes' video, music videos and, and subscribe to my channel, then it's there. Okay. Um, if you just want to search it, it's while my guitar gently weeps, the principles, official video, whatever. Right. And your website, Joey Sykes, S Y K E S.com. And, uh, I, I looked, I looked up your social media and I noticed you haven't tweeted in three years. So I don't know if that's worth giving out or not, but, uh, got to revisit tw Twitter. I, yeah. I was not, not inspired to do all these social media yeah. things. Then it'll, take away from my creativity and and i don't i don't feel good about that so i don't know i know yeah it's a it, it is good for getting stuff out there but i think you did post the video on your instagram uh which is joey sykes 903 so yeah, yeah. instagram it's a lot easier to not get lost in because it's, it's just pictures and videos you know yeah. twitter you start reading it and then you click on it and then before you know it and like what am i doing yeah so i'm no, probably not, an idiot for not not being better at twitter i'm you know i'm probably shorting myself a little bit but like i said man if i if i wake up and all i'm thinking about is how much social media i need i need to do it, it won't feel good for me so yeah no exactly. <laughs> yeah well uh joey sykes thanks again uh always uh, great to chat with you and i i look forward to uh chatting with you again i hope if we talk in six more months uh you know there's a, a little bit more going on you know musically out there you know in terms of shows and uh, you know a lot of bands are have been holding on to albums uh except acdc because they're like yeah you know what yeah just put it out you know we'll tour we'll tour whenever you know but uh, you know you, so many bands are like we'll put it out next year and, and they're like yeah we don't care we'll just put it out you know well, maybe so. i'll just see you at the next crisis <laughs> yeah right exactly <laughs> well uh <laughs> yeah. And uh, thanks again. And for uh, everybody who wants to uh, follow the show, of course, it's The Black Cast on Facebook, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T on Twitter. I'm at Christian DMZ. Thanks again. And we will see you next time on The Black Cast. Thanks, Christian.